us to do that. Well, when I was in seminary, um, I worked at the YMCA, and uh, the y- they had a really large uh, YMCA, very uh, uh, productive one up in the Raleigh area, and they all had after-school daycares because they had year-round school. And so I kind of ran an after-school daycare there. Can you imagine me running an after-school daycare? I did. And uh, one of the games we like to play with the children uh, was called Do You Love Me? And maybe you've heard of something similar. What we would do is we would put one child in a chair, put another child sitting across from them, and one child would say, Johnny, or whatever the name was, Johnny, if you love me, won't you please, please smile? And then, of course, the other child would have to say back without smiling. If they smile, they laugh, they lost. They would say, Mary, you know I love you, but I just can't smile. What would normally happen is was, was a child would say, you know, Johnny, if you love me, will you please, please smile? They'd really draw it out, and the other child would say, Mary. And then they'd end up laughing a lot of times. You know, And it was kind of funny because you'd had all different type of combinations with different children and girls saying to girls and boys saying to boys and boys saying to girls. It was always kind of funny because, you know, third, fourth, fifth graders laughed about it. But every now and then, you'd get this stone-hearted child, and they would be able to sit there with a straight face and say, Mary, you know I love you, but I just can't smile. And all the kids would be like, oh, you know, because they, they would be able to say it without actually smiling or laughing or anything. But even though they said they loved them when they said they weren't going to smile, they really didn't. They were able to say it because they wanted to win the game, right? So who really wants to win the game bad enough? You'll be the one that can say it without smiling. They had nothing to do with love. They told them they loved them, but it had nothing to do with it because they wanted to win. Sometimes I feel like, as Christians, we try to do well in life. We try to win in life, uh, not because we love Jesus, but because we just want to do well. We just want to win in life. Part of the heresy the Colossian church was facing was that there are people in the community who claim to be Christians... They lived a certain way. They acted in a specific way. They seemed to be spiritual. They seemed to be religious. They seemed to be Christians. But the difference was they were putting their hope in who they were as people and in their own actions and not putting their hope in Jesus working through them. They ultimately loved themselves more than they loved Jesus. Just like that child that said, I know I love you, but I just can't smile. He doesn't love that other child. He loves himself because he's trying to win the game. And that's the difference between following Christ and following a man-made religion. See, the human heart desires to earn something. And so we often subconsciously categorize being a Christian with earning something, doing well in life, achieving something. But that's not what following Christ is. Following Christ is simply loving him. Loving him. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16, Paul says to the Colossians, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason, 
by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, hopefully with our hearts full, hopefully in a better place, being able to sing your praises today to, to worship you. Lord, we come in here with, with worries and, and, and fears and sins that entangle us. You give us the, the ability to turn from those today. So I pray we would turn from them. We know that you forgive us from them. And many times, Lord, those snares and traps we put on our own lives. We're going to see some of these areas, Lord, where we tend to do this today. So, Lord, speak to us through your word. This is going to be a hard word to hear, Father, but it will be good for us. And so I pray that we will leave here today built up and encouraged, knowing that following you is simply loving you. Lord, I, I pray that my words are yours today. I pray that you fill me with your spirit as your word is preached. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe today's message can be an eye-opener for us. I can believe it can be a life-changing message. But it's going to be hard to hear. It was hard to prepare. It was hard to preach. And it's going to be hard to hear. So today I want to give you three areas of life where we need to love Christ over all else. Three areas of life where we need to love Christ over all else. First, we need to love Jesus Christ more than your performance. More than your performance. Talking about performance in school, I'm talking about performance in job, performance in family, performance in life, whatever it is that you do to keep up the appearance that you're doing okay. That's what I mean by performance. Love Christ more than your performance. We hit a little on this last week. Paul had urged the Colossians to not be taken captive by man made philosophies, man made traditions. See, Jesus has defeated the need to limit yourself in those ways of living. So Paul furthers this kind of thinking today. And in this first section, he's speaking on the issue of legalism among Christians. What is legalism? Well, it's, it's any human system that claims that a person has to do something or be a certain way in order to be made right with God. One pastor said that legalism is the religion of of human achievement. Legalism is the religion of human achievement. See, it exalts the self. It says, look what I have achieved on my own power. It says, I am spiritual, I am a Christian, and I stay this way because of all the things that I do in my performance. It says, I am spiritual because of all the things I do right and because of all the things I don't do wrong. See, legalism is divisive. It, it says, I'm right, you're wrong, or we're right, you're wrong, and if you want to be right, you need to join our group. 
do the right thing, live the right way, and God will love you for your performance. But only until you perform right will God love you. That's what legalism says. This is why sometimes when we apologize to people, when we don't meet their approval. The other day when my children, I said something for her to do, or I can't remember what it was, but she didn't do anything wrong, and I said something, and they just said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I said, what are you apologizing for? Like, sorry, like you didn't sin, you didn't do anything wrong. You know? And I hear people doing this all the time. They'll say, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for this or that. But, but if it's not sin, you have no need to apologize. Now, did you yell at someone in anger? Did you break a promise? Then yes, you need to apologize. But did you just tell someone you can't do something? Or you just answer a question in a way they didn't like, and, 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 they, and they weren't wanting to hear from you, and then you apologize? That's not sin. That's just a disagreement. That's a way of looking at things differently. There's no need to apologize for that. But the legalist attempts to bring you into their system of living, and they judge you based on your performance in their system. That's what the legalist does. If it's not sin, you have nothing to fear. Love Jesus more than the acceptance of others. More Jesus, love Jesus more than your achievements. See, legalism is, is harmful because it prevents us from truly living free in Christ, which means loving him and loving others. We have a hard time loving Jesus. We have a hard time loving others because we are not free to do so. We are caught up in legalisms. It's our default status. We all lean toward it. You might say, well, I'm not a legalist. I just say live however you want to live and do whatever you want to do, and who cares what happens? Well, you are a legalist because you just said that's your system of life. You're a legalist for not being a legalist. So you can't escape it. It's all in our own hearts. We all have this idea of how things should be and how we should live. And legalism puts pressure on ourselves, and it puts more pressure on ourselves because it's all about our performance and not the performance of Jesus Christ. We become preoccupied with our own selves and not Jesus. And that actually is sin. When we're thinking about ourselves more than him and putting the performance on our own shoulders. So he says in verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. See, there were people in the community that were saying, Hey, you're not a real Christian because you don't, eat this food or you eat the wrong food or you don't drink this or you eat the wrong drink or, or you didn't do that festival or, or y'all didn't adhere to that, 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 that thing in the Old Testament that said you needed to do this or whatever like that and he says don't allow them to judge you for that because you are free in Christ that's what he's saying he says the idea of, of allowing someone to, to, to profess Christ that they, they determine how you should live in Christ based on their own Man-made rules, right? We, we, we have to be careful about this, even in our own culture. You know, you could be more angry at your son for not shaking someone's hand than if they actually sinned in life. You know that, right? It's not a sin not to shake someone's hand. It's a sin maybe to be rude to someone or to sin against someone, right? So we have to be careful what type of legalisms we, we teach our own selves and teach our own children. Look at Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, you're free in Christ. You can live in this freedom. 
Now, there are people in the church who suggested that the way to be spiritual was to reclaim some of the old Jewish ceremonies, the old Jewish regulations, that Jesus wasn't enough, so they developed a list. That in order to be a real Christian, if you really know Christ, you have to eat these foods and not eat these foods. You must drink this, but not drink that. Your worship must must look like this. It must not look like that. And Jesus spoke about this, and he said, we're not defiled by the food we eat, we're defiled by what's in our heart. Parents, are you legalistic about your children? Are they living a performance-based life? Like if they do well, do they feel like you love them more if they do well in school or in activities than if they don't do well? You know, to do poorly in an activity or do poorly in school might not necessarily be a sin against God's law. You realize that, right? Do they feel like you love them more when, when, they, when they perform to your standards? Do you get your own sense of self-worth through how well they do in school or, or how many activities they're involved in? If you're a senior adult or a mature adult, uh, are you legalistic about the way things used to be? Uh, do, do you hold up how things used to be as the ideal How the good old days were were so wonderful, right? Do you use those days to to measure the spirituality of Christianity? If you're a a teen or a a younger Christian, what are you legalistic about? Are you legalistic about always chasing the trends and and being popular? Are you legalistic about the fact that you don't do that, that you're you're a nonconformist, that you're you're, a unique person, and are you legalistic about being true to yourself and being unique? See, we're all legalists in some way because we're all ultimately seeking either validation from others or validation from ourselves in our performance, from family, from friends, ourselves, but our validation should be sought in Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. So you ask yourself, would Jesus be proud of me today? Do I behave how Jesus would have me do? You know, those bracelets, those WWJD bracelets have been out for, gosh, 30 years now. Some children wear them. You know, I wore them when I was in high school, so that should make them not cool anymore. But they're true. What would Jesus think? And sometimes it's at odds with what our family might think or what our friends might think, or what our culture might think. See, rules and legalism, he says in verse 17, that these are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. Think about the nature of a, a shadow. You know, shadow is, is not real. I mean, it's, it's real, but it's not. There's no substance to it. it, it, it the shadow of something is, is evidence that that thing exists. For instance, your shadow is not you. So if, if I was talking to you outside and there's a shadow on the ground and I started talking to your shadow and not you, you would think I've lost my mind. Like, why are you talking to my shadow? The shadow is proof that you exist and you make the shadow exist. Without you, there is no shadow. The shadow has no substance. It just points to the reality that you are standing there. And that's what he's saying the Old Testament law was. That the point of the Old Testament law and all the rules and regulations was to point the way to Jesus, to show that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all those laws. The law is good and it was given to us to show us the character of God and to let us know that we're sinners and there's no possible way we can keep the law and make ourselves right with God. 
It was given to us to not try to emulate as so much that our salvation depended on it, but to trust Jesus to save us. So what he's saying is stop worshiping the shadows. Stop worshiping the shadows and start loving Jesus. Don't put so much pressure on your performance. Love Jesus, and when you sin, repent. Love Christ more than your performance. Secondly, we have to be careful also to love Christ more than our experience. I'm talking about our Christian experience, our, our worship experience even. Look at verse 18. He says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. See, asceticism was a way of harming the body. If you harmed the body, they felt like it made them closer. They would whip themselves and cut themselves and do things like that. And they felt like they did this, God would love them more. And then there were angel sightings, and they would say, oh, this angel here, you need to worship this angel. And then they would have visions, and they would say, oh, let me tell you about this great vision from the Lord that, that I had. Right? And, and they would do this to, to kind of show that, hey, they were more spiritual than the others. Now, he says here that, that it's okay to pursue a deeper or higher personal religious experience it's a natural desire to have it's a natural desire to have these desires but what was happening with the colossian church where they were starting to elevate these things over god's revealed word and when you're trusting in something that's not in god's word then you're trusting in the wrong element much of church worship much of church worship has become experience driven you can go to a to a to a worship and you can you can hear amazing music, sing amazing songs, and, and really feel uh, the, the emotion there. But the pastor can't preach out of a paper bag. The Bible's not open. There's no word of God. And so you've just basically worshipped experience, basically. You haven't heard any word from the Lord. Many of the songs are self-centered. We have to be careful. We do this in our own services here. We're very careful about the songs we select. Are we singing about ourselves or are we singing about Jesus Christ? We have to be careful with that here, even in our own church, and we do well with that, I believe. We need to have holy affections worshiping Christ. We need to be able to, yes, you know, yell out amen or raise our hand and, and, and whatever we do that, to, to have that emotional connection, but we can't just live on the experiential highs because there will be days where we don't feel it. What do you do then? We need to be careful that we aren't just worshiping experience and not worshiping Jesus. See, these believers were, they were puffed up with pride over their experience. And they delighted in elevating that. But he says, you're missing Jesus. What are you worshiping? Verse 19, he says this. You're not holding fast to the head. That's Jesus, the head of the body, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. It says the head is the, is the part of the body that drinks and eats, and it nourishes the entire body. The, the arm, the hand can't eat. The, the foot can't eat. The ear can't eat or drink, even though sometimes you can get water in there, you're not going to drink 
uh, pouring water in your ear. It has to go through the mouth, through the head. And that's what he's saying, that you have to hold fast to Jesus, then the rest will kind of fall in. But some of us are like, wow, look at the feet. They're wonderful. Or look at the hand. It's wonderful. Or look at the side. And, and that, that's great, but where's the head? The head is where everything happens. That's what he's saying. Cry out to Jesus. Stay with Jesus. That's how change happens. Real growth, he says, grows with the growth from his God. Real growth comes from your love of Jesus Christ. That's where he wants to make us, to love him more, more than anything. Even our experiences. And finally, number three, we love Christ more than our efforts. More than our effort. He reminds them in verse 20, if with Christ you died to these elemental spirits of the world, these demonic forces is what he's talking about, and all these traditions and man-made religions, if you've died to these through your baptism, why are you still living under them? Why do you submit to the regulations? Why do you play by the, the world's rules? Why do you play, play that game? He says that your baptism was proof that you had died to the old ways of living. So he says if you died to the old, old experiences, died to the old legalisms, why do you keep trying to play the game by their rules? And he gives examples in verse 21. Some would say, oh, you can't touch that. Do not handle. If you're a Christian, you can't touch that. Or you can't taste that. Or you can't handle that. And he says, these are all according to human precepts and teachings. And then he says this in verse 23. And this is really the key verse of the entire passage. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Talking about man-made regulations. These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body. But, keeping these rules, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, I could tell myself all day long that I'm only going to have one little Debbie cake a week or a day. Just went to the grocery store, got some little Debbie cakes. I can tell myself all the time, I'm only going to have one. And I'll eat one. But ten minutes later, or, or worse, five hours later, a little three-year-old comes walking in the den, holding a Debbie cake, and it's all over his mouth. He's like, mmm, this is good. No matter if I've told myself I'm only going to have one, I'm still going to have the desire to have another. Or let's say I go weeks without having one. And he... He has one. I'm going to have a desire even more to have. And that's what he's saying. You can give yourself all the rules in the world, all the laws in the world, but if you love that Debbie cake more than Jesus, it's not going to help. You're still going to have that desire. In the Middle Ages, there's a movement among Christians to, to go into monasteries where they would be by themselves. And these monks would stay by themselves, isolated for years. The only person around and they thought they could, if they did it they could escape sin but they couldn't escape sin because they were still there right they still sinned their, their, their desires to sin were still there they just became inflamed because rule falling becomes exhausting and exasperating and he says your efforts have no value now let me let me make sure i explain this i'm not saying don't put any effort into not sinning i'm not saying that I'm not saying don't put any effort into not turning from sin. What I am saying is, unless you love Jesus more than your desire, you're going to fail. My little three-year-old, 
You know how I'll know he loves me more than his own sin? When I tell him to quit running from me? And he, he loves and he doesn't run from me because he loves me more than he fears the consequence of discipline. If he just fears the consequence, he doesn't love me. But if he doesn't do it because he loves me, then I know he, he's got the point. That's why when you were a child, you always hated to hear your parents, when you did something wrong, they would tell you what? I'm not mad at you, I'm just disappointed. Because you know, because you love them. And you knew they loved you, and that broke your heart to hear that. Right? So your life will change when you start loving Jesus more than the consequences of sinning. When you start loving him more than the consequences of doing what you should not do. So you love Jesus more than your sin. You, you change your habits of living out of love, not out of pride, not out of fear. Many of us are living in, in fear, but Jesus casts aside fear. Know that you're a sinner saved by grace. Know that you're a sinner that needs grace to, to live every day. You cannot do it yourself, so enjoy the, the freedom you have to, to live. And in that freedom, you're free to love God and love other people. The Bible says that people will, will know that we are Christians by what? By our rules? Not by our rules. Not by our experiences. By our love. That's how they're going to know. That's how you'll know. Now when you sin, you ask forgiveness, and you allow the Spirit to live in you, and you abide in Him, and you read your Scriptures, and you pray, and you meditate on Scripture, and you cry out to God, and you love Jesus. That's where... He wants us to be. But the human heart wants to earn stuff. We want to achieve things. We want to check, have checklists and mark, check boxes and mark things off. But Jesus wants us to love him more than we fear him. Right? Let's to, to love him more than we fear him. Where are you today in your walk? Do you need to love Jesus more than you fear him today? Let's ask him to create that desire in our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Jesus Christ, what is done for us, as we close our time together today, help us love you. Lord, your word tells us that fear is not of your spirit. That in Christ we, have, we can have courage to face those fears. So help us love you more than we fear upsetting somebody. More than we fear anything in life, Lord. Let us love you. Show us how to do it. Help us develop affections that cling to you, Lord. And we know that the more time we spend with you, the more we love you. That with you, absence does not make the heart grow fonder. It makes it grow colder. But the more we are with you, the more fond we are of you. So, Lord, if there's one in here today that's never placed their faith in you today, that they would do so today. They would receive forgiveness of, salva of, of sins for their salvation, Lord. You would save them. And we will live lives of love to you so we can love others. And we thank you so much for what you've given us. In Jesus' name we ask these things.